Hi everybody, welcome to the very first episode of Mandatory Marvel and DC, the show that takes a look back at the very biggest and best storylines from the big two of comics. I'm your host Max Byrne and I hope you'll be able to join me each and every week as we cover these classic moments that have stood the test of time and crossed over into popular culture. Now, for this premiere episode we need some Premier League level guests and we've certainly got them. So please will you join me in welcoming to the show, this very first show, the two gentlemen that have made this all possible, the creators of Comics in Motion, Chris Phelps and Dave Horrocks. Hi gentlemen, how are you? Thanks Max, you okay? Yeah, very well. Yourself, Chris? Good, mate. I'm looking forward to this one. Me too, me too. And how are you, Dave? I'm brilliant, mate. And what a magnanimous introduction that is. So really appreciate it. And honestly, I am buzzing for this new show because having had a sneak peek at the first few episodes that you've got lined up, there are some absolute belters here and I can't wait. Well, yeah, we've certainly got some good uh, subject matter lined up, so hopefully we'll, uh, we'll live up to your uh, expectations. Um, but yeah, it should be good. Um, so yeah, no further ado. Uh, the first one we're going to do today is probably one of the biggest comic book stories in the last few decades. Um, even people who've probably never even read a comic will have heard of it because it was adapted, loosely adapted, into an absolute blockbuster uh, movie, part of the MCU, a key part of the MCU, uh, and I'm talking about none other than Civil War. Uh, now, before we sort of go into the history of it and then obviously start talking about it, um, I just want to know, based on you know your two guys' experiences, is it something you'd read previously or had you just watched the film previously and then gone back and read the books? You know, what's your history and, and take on on this book? I think I'll go first if that's all yeah. right chris so um so for me I, I dropped out of comics uh the 90s kind of killed me off a bit with comics <laughs> you know there's some awful stuff around then Absolutely. Um, just life gets in the way you know uh other things like um was in ba various bands for years um quite active you used to like playing football and things like that so just your free time and then you you start a family and stuff and so your free time just gets squeezed and then comics just wasn't really a big part of my life for it for at least a good decade but in about sort of 2008 so this civil war had already come out but the ripples of it were still running through every every comic. So I ended up um, sort of dropping out of the, the band scene and, and uh, stopping playing football and stuff. So I had some free time again. And when I got back into it, everything seemed to go back to Civil War. And so after I started getting back into it, I ended up going and reading it. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is absolutely amazing. I mean, I'd, I'd grown up, you know, on um, the kind of older style, the very verbose comics um and i'm pretty sure I, I rattled through this whole graphic novel in about the time it would take me to get through a clip chris claremont x-men issue um <laughs> but you know i just thought it was unbelievable and it was it was the warm fuzzy feeling i had from these familiar characters which i've known pretty much all well all my life certainly as long as i can remember yeah but tackling such a a real hard issue where you know certainly when you start reading it in the beginning you can empathize with kind of all sides and so yeah. it was kind of really grown up if you know what i mean despite the fact you've got these these guys running around in spandex and whatever so for me this was part of my journey getting back into comics 
and just absolutely catching the bug again and, and haven't looked back since. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, my story is quite similar to that as well, um, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, and how about yourself, Chris? Well, to be honest, uh, it's interesting. Obviously, the whole pretense of comics emotion was I am just completely a non-comic reader. The, the last things I've read, I've been well documented on this, is that the Beano and the Dandy and all that, that, the real ridiculous, crappy, corny UK comics. And even though I love the, the superhero stuff, the cartoons, everything, never, ever really read anything. And obviously, one of Dave's mantras doing the comics emotion was to try and get me to read more stuff. And and. I think as it's gone on, Max, that the one thing I've got is it wasn't necessarily the fact that I don't enjoy them. It was just more, more was time. I'm a massive video game uh, player. I play games all the time. I'm surrounded yeah. by consoles, PC, everything. Uh, like Dave said, I was in bands. I play a lot of football. And it just, it's just passed me by. And, and, and honestly, with Tony Shaw, obviously Tony Farina, our good friend, when we did his show, uh, with the indie stuff, obviously I'm learning stuff that I don't know, listen to his show, which is great. But this, mm. what you're doing, is probably more up my street, personally, because it's more mainstream. And I yeah. think I've, I have only ever seen the film completely. And I, I must admit, I've only read this in the last week, Max. And I bought it and everything, and David said to me, you need to buy it. And I was like, right, I'll, I'll buy it. And it, you know, it's, it's pennies. It cost me less than three pounds for the, the whole mm. graphic novel, which you know is brilliant. But yeah. what I found amazing was that the difference between this and the film. When people say like the comics tell a totally different story, it literally does. It's literally night and day. If, if it wasn't for the fact that you had Captain America and Iron Man, it'd be two completely different stories in some respects. It just does not run parallel to the movie. But however, um, I do want to go watch the movie again to see if there's stuff that I've missed. Where, or little, mm. David said there was Easter eggs when we talked, Max. And so I'm really pleased you've got me on. And the fact that I've actually got off my arse and stopped being lazy and actually, you know, read a graphic novel, which to be fair, I'm not trying to re sort of reveal what I think. I thoroughly enjoyed it, to be honest. Mm. It is. It's one of the, it's one of the all time classic uh, books, in my opinion. Anyway, it's all about everyone's opinion. That's the whole point of it. And that's the whole point of this show. But, to me, it, it's right up there. It doesn't, it doesn't get much better. And what I love about this is, like um, Dave alluded to, is it, the ripples were felt beyond the book. And I don't think there's been a book as, that's had a, such an all-encompassing reach outside of its own, because this was only a seven-issue book. But if you wanted to read all the different parts of the story and all the different tie-ins, there was literally over a hundred, 100 uh, tie-in comic books to go with this. I mean, that's massive. So literally every, practically every title in the Marvel universe uh, that was surrounding this all had their own tie-ins. I mean, that's, that's mind blowing to actually coordinate that into one cohesive storyline. It's quite an undertaking. It's not something you see very often. I think it's mas masterpiece. It really is. I think the editors get a lot of stick whenever there's a bit of inconsistency, don't they? But you're right. I think to pull all that together and you've got all yeah. these kind of writers and creators, you know, bohemian types don't like deadlines or anything like that Ooh. to get these books out on time and everything it is just phenomenal. And I must say, I, I was trying to remember back a, about a lot of those tie-ins and uh, couldn't really remember a great deal about a lot of them. I think I remembered Wolverine. He sort of spins off. He goes chasing Nitro. I think um, 
the X-Men one didn't really tie in that directly. But I, I had, um, in the early days of Marvel Unlimited, so, yep. you know, there was no way I was going to go back and get all those, those back issues. But I think it, when it first came out, it was ridiculous. It was like uh, 50 quid for the year or something like that. And you, get, you got access to all these back catalog Marvel issues and the whole of the Civil War event and all the tie-in issues and everything were there. And so I remember going through and, and reading up on the internet, you know, which, which reading order... And and some of them yes. were a little bit loose. You didn't have to read them exactly. But I think with, uh, you know, after this as well, you had Secret Invasion as well. Just did the same thing there. God, it took me bloody ages. But it, it was impressive because, I, again, I can't think of any glaring plot holes or anything. It, it all tied together quite nicely. Yeah. I mean, the, the meat on the bone is in these seven issues, which is what we're going to be talking about. I think you don't have to have read all the side bits to, to know what's going on and understand the whole story. If you just have those seven issues in one collection, one trade paperback, and just read that, you're not massively missing out. This, those, all those times were kind of just showing the, af the after effects, the effects during what was going on, the um, putting more spotlight on characters that perhaps were fleetingly in these seven issues. But I think, you know, it's not essential reading, that's for sure. You can get, there's a, there's a massive box set you can buy. It's a bit of a wallet buster, but it's a massive box set with about seven or eight massive hardbacks in it that collects everything. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to have that, but, you know, it's, I could never afford it really. It's, <laughs> when it, if I see a second-hand copy on eBay, then I'll be all over it, but it's, um, it's really hard to find at a, at a good price. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, essentially, if you just stick to these seven books, you'll still get a great story and that's that's the key to it really you know you don't need all that dressing on top the real meat on the bone is just uh, it's just these that's what i think anyway. yeah i i agree but what i love about it is if you do read those side issues you get more context because there are yeah. there is definitely dialogue in here which references things that happened in other books you know i won't spoil it until we get it but obviously there's a major character who does switch sides yeah i remember that kind of went on even even before this you know in the prelude to or the build-up to civil war how he got that person on side and then you know him wrestling with uh his conscience about which side he was on mm -hmm. and then like i say when i was reading i couldn't remember all the tie-ins but when i was reading certain bits of dialogue i was definitely thinking oh right in the main line in this little story they just skirt past all of this but you know there is bigger richer stories out there there is indeed yeah okay so before we start talking about the events i'll just very quickly give a, a very small quick background into why the events of this story take place just what was briefly happening in the marvel universe just before the events of this and then we'll you know obviously start talking about the events and obviously i've got a, a million questions for you guys about it and what you think about all different kinds of bits of it So, obviously, for those who have seen the film, which I would imagine every man and his dog has seen the film, it was an absolute juggernaut at the box office. They'll have a, there is a loose connection to the two. The, the, the stakes are the same at the start, but whereas in the film it tends to go smaller and be a more 
personal thing in in the book it gets bigger and bigger and just starts to involve every single person in the marvel universe so before the uh, first issue was was published it was a time where there was a series of events in the marvel universe that had sort of caused public opinion for uh, superheroes vigilantes whatever you want to call them whatever your preference um the public opinion against those was starting to sort of decrease, starting to wane. A number of things had happened. Um, I know earlier today, Dave, we were talking about House of M, um, and that was a yep. prelude to this, where there'd been an event where the Scarlet Witch had sort of gone off the reservation and depowered 99.9% of the mutants on Earth, um, causing mass hysteria. Um, the Hulk... Had gone on one rampage too many, and there'd been human casualties when he demolished cities, and had um, destroyed um, an American city that's very close to Chris's heart. I should say. I'll never forgive him, Max. Never ever going to forgive him for that. I <laughs> love him. I love Vegas more. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he'd. Um, this is why he's not in this book at all. He'd been blasted off into space. Uh, there was a group called the Illuminati, which was like the big brains of the Marvel Universe. It was Tony Stark, Reed Richards, Charles Xavier, um, Black Bolt from the Inhumans, Namor, and one of a... Oh, Doctor Strange, and also Black Panther, so that's six. They were like a sort of secret cabal who, you know, made decisions about the best way to protect the Earth. And they decided that he'd he was a danger. So they basically tricked him, put him in a, a rocket and blasted him off into our outer space. The intention was to put him on a, a planet where he would uh, live in peace and enjoy himself. Uh, but then the, I think the ship got diverted and he ended up on a sort of um, a, a slave planet, which spins off into the uh, planet Hulk books, mm-hmm. which is something yep. we're going to, I'm going to cover at a later date. Uh, so that, that's why he's not part of this. Um, also Thor, um, again, isn't in this book, although there is a, a version of Thor in this book, which we'll get to. Um, he was uh, essentially dead at this point. Um, they, they, I know they did the film Ragnarok, um, but the actual comic version of Ragnarok was a bit different. Um, it still resulted in the same end thing where um, Asgard got destroyed. Um, so he was not dead, but his, um, to quote the um, book, his spirit was residing outside of time and space in a deep slumber until he and his fellow gods are needed again. So he was gone. Um, and there'd been all other kinds. Um, Tony Stark had, um, someone had attempted to assassinate him at a press conference. So hysteria was starting to build and anti-superhero feeling was starting to build, uh, which brings us to the start of the book. Um, now, the start of this book, I think it's quite relevant to today um, in this sort of reality TV age we live in, which I know is something you guys are sort of up to date with, with your, your Love Island uh, podcast that you do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, I mean, you know, it's, that's, it's the world we live in, isn't it? Reality TV is huge. Everyone, you know, is trying to be a, a star on TV, a star online, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's where we start the book uh, with the young group, the, um, oh, what are they called now? The Young Avengers, is it? Or the, the New, new Avengers? Warriors. New Warriors, that's it. Sorry, my mistake. Um, where they're um, filming like a, a YouTube show, a reality show, um, showing them doing some superhero shenanigans and in trying to take down a, a group of villains, um, an absolute 
catastrophe occurs which actually results in the deaths of 600 people including a school filled with kids um it's quite a hard-hitting opening really i mean what did you guys think of that opening bit with the the sort of reality tv aspect of it and then obviously the the huge tragedy that comes at the end of that first book that first issue i should say i'm gonna let you go first on this one chris because obviously this is this is your first run through yeah to be honest i didn't have a clue what was going on at first i kept thinking have i got the right book here because yeah obviously <laughs> it starts the tone and, and i did think I, I really enjoyed it i did think the the opening section and we had this whole thing i, I had to re- sort of reread it again because i wasn't sure i kept thinking is this like a bit of a prologue or it's a bit of like a a piss take sort of thing but then obviously when we get into issue one it then leads into the fact that that's part of the story isn't it the fact that this reality show and that's what sort of kicks off this whole yeah. thing about trying to sort of make them into in some respects superhuman policemen aren't they police women so um really really good I, I, what i really like about it is the coloring and, and the text dave said to me loads of times when he's trying to get me to read stuff he's you know a lot of the 90s stuff is text heavy but with this, it wasn't, and, and I think yeah. very, very relatable, especially one thing I love was the fact that Captain America's got his OG suit on. I love the, the little pirate uh, buddy swashbuckling boots he seems to wear. Yeah. That's why there's the figure, the little, we talked about that in our review a few weeks ago, but um, no, I think it starts really well. And it drew me in, to be honest, uh, for both of you, because obviously it's, it's hard to convince me sometimes uh, but I literally, from the minute I put this up, I was literally coming home from work thinking, I need to read again, I need to read again. And then uh, yesterday, I read like the three, uh, the last three, so five, six and seven in one sitting. So yeah, really, really enjoyed the start of it. Yeah, and how about you, Dave? Yeah, I, I forgot that it started off completely with the New Warriors. And I think that's because when I'd gone through it all the last time, I'd gone through every single tie-in. So the build-up to this bit seemed to be a lot longer. There was a lot of discussion and uh, different opinions about this superhero registration act. So I kind of it took me by surprise that it was straight in there, um, and we find out, don't we? So so they try and take down Nitro and uh, a few of the other um, villains that are holed up in this house, but they're just playing up to the camera and you know you've got the producers there and they're kind of egging them on and they're just doing it you know for the show and what have you but then they completely underestimate nitro and again in one of the tie-ins we actually find out that he isn't actually as he's not powerful enough to cause an explosion that big and so, you know, there's a bit of a conspiracy. And this this was, I think, the Wolverine time where you find out someone had been giving him like mutant growth hormone to make the explosion bigger and what have you. And you get into this conspiracy about, you know, did they intentionally set something off like this? But this was definitely the straw that broke the camel's back, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's the, t- it's the, the tipping point. This is where it's, it forces the government into action. Um, and then from there you see like Johnny Storm getting bottled on the head outside a nightclub when he's with a, a lady and things like that. And it's just little things on top of this all come to a head. So then we get the government passing the Superhuman Registration Act. Um, and, um, and I quote, this requires the registration of all persons with superhuman abilities with the US government and the enlistment and training of those wishing to operate as superheroes. The law applies to those with naturally occurring superhuman abilities, those humans using exotic technology, such as Iron Man, for instance, or anyone who wants to challenge the super, superhumans. 
um, enactment of the federal law led to revisions of state criminal codes. So basically, all heroes are forced, not, they're not given a choice, they're forced to, or, or if they don't um, comply with it, they will be branded as, as fugitives, as criminals, and taken in. So they're effectively um, registered as, as government employees uh, with taxable jobs and pensions and, and all the rest of it, which actually doesn't sound that bad on the face of it. <laughs> but obviously, as part of that, they have to reveal their secret identities, who they are. Um, that would obviously put their families in danger because it would then become public knowledge. Uh, and that, that's where the split starts to occur. So you have your two factions, one led by Captain America, who doesn't believe in the Registration Act, and the other led by Stark, Iron Man, who is firmly behind it. Now, both of them have got their reasons. Both of them are pretty valid. Um, and what the book does really well is it doesn't paint either out to be the villain, either out to be wrong, either out to be um, more, of, more appealing than the other. So what I want to say is to you two guys, the biggest question is, whose side do you want? Which one do you personally side with the most out of the two? I'll start with you, Chris. Captain America all day long. I actually came out of reading the whole seven issues, um, not liking Tony Stark, to be honest. Now, I love, obviously, his portrayal on the screen, Robert Downey Jr. I get what they were going for, but the fact that they sort of had this underbelly of some of the criminals in there, and, and obviously Spider-Man, we'll go to that later, I suppose, but Spider-Man gets a good kick in and stuff like that. No, I was with Captain America. I, I wasn't buying any of that. Yeah. With with any of them, and so yeah, cap for me all day long. Okay, no, that's, uh, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards your side of it. Uh, um, how about you, Dave? You know what? We're all parents, aren't we? Mm. And I, I think because you've got the heroes, and they're on both sides, but ultimately the public has a big voice in this as well. And obviously, the I can't remember what her name is, but the the lady who, who keeps giving Tony, well, initially gives Tony Stark quite a hard time, but then ends up really appreciating what he's done. And I just think, you know, if we lived in that world where someone just happens to get powers, you know, and they're either, they're going to use them for good or bad, or, you know, wouldn't you want them trained? Wouldn't you want to make sure that they've been through some kind of process that makes sure they're out there and being safe so of course there's the there's the side of me you know that wants i mean i think it's not fully down the middle i think tony stark is played as the baddie but it's like 52 percent, 48 percent um i just think if it was real i think we'd probably all be on iron man's side but in the I story I, I do think cap is is the goody in this scenario yeah yeah i think if it was actually happening in the real world you probably would side or with the registration act if we were like we are normal people and something like this actually happened you'd be scared to death of something like that happening so i think if you were just joe public in the marvel universe you probably would side with the Re registration act and be pro of that and when obviously as a result of this registration, when Captain America goes underground as, as a fugitive operating outside the law and all his entourage as well, you'd probably be wanting them hunted down. Um, so I can see that side of it. But I think, like uh, Chris said, for me, I'm probably siding a little bit more on Captain America's side. I just think his argument about, you know, free will and 
not having to um, bow down to the government. Also, I think that, like, I think there's a mention of it actually. Um, we'll get to that in a minute when, before Spider Man decides to do what he does halfway through, where someone mentions, well, if you do that, then Doc Octopus knows where you live. Um, you know, he's got your your uh, your other half social Aunt May's social security number. Well, if you did that, Jesus Christ. Every, everyone would be gunning for members of your family, wouldn't they? Yeah. If you were a, a, a costume superhero with a, yep. a list of enemies as long as your arm, as soon as they found out who you were, they'd know everything about you. They'd know every single family member and they'd use that against you. So I can see, I think I'd, I'd probably side more with his his side of it. Although I think they made a bit, when they did the film version of that, I think they made Captain America out to be slightly more selfish in the film because it it became less as the film went on it became less about the registration act halfway through and became more about him just trying to protect his mate um and yeah. i just didn't really yeah, buy right. that i was i was team stark in the film i would say well i don't think it's interesting that what what i think they did well in the mcu see for me what we get in civil war here in the movies really started in winter soldier so that was when um spoilers but hydra had infiltrated shield hadn't they and then they'd come up with this um it was almost like a minority report kind of preventative measure where they could identify all the bad guys take them all out and what have you um and cap morally didn't like that he didn't like you know that Mm. um you would have that amount of power and it's like you know who who has the power and who has the control i honestly before all of this uh, and before getting back into comics if you'd have said which if you'd have said this is one side and this is the other i'd have yeah. probably said cap would be on the flag waving you know on the government side but this completely changed my opinion of captain america and the yeah. fact that he believes so strongly in the ideals of america not what america is or what it what it's turned out to be you know but the absolute you know i don't want to say ideals again but that idea of it and so went from you know before this story to be honest went from thinking oh he's okay to absolutely loving it and and when the movies came out you know that that love for the character just just escalated even more and i've said it's chris before but hand on heart for me captain america is the best trilogy there has ever been now i know that's controversial because i'm sure lots of people will say star wars back to the future uh, no treat no surrender um, there's <laughs> lots of great trilogies out there but yeah, for me it's captain kid. america <laughs> karate kid yeah king of the kickboxes yeah. Not, uh, still need to make the third one <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I agree. It is it is a brilliant uh, set of films. Um, I just think that the way the sort of his motivation, I think, at the end of Civil War wasn't quite what it is in the book. And I think in the book, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more, a little stronger, and he's got more substance behind it. But that's just my opinion, anyway. Um, I, I'd okay. agree with that. I'd, I'd never really thought too deeply about it, but I do agree with that. If you look back at it. The only reason he ended up on that side is because they wanted to go after Bucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if he hadn't been involved and he wasn't part part of it, he wasn't the guy being framed in the film. Then 
he, he probably wouldn't that wouldn't have happened really you know it, it, the, the stakes weren't as big mm. um, there was and, and the whole secret identity thing that is in the book and that's what the whole boils down to secret identities don't really exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the exception of like Spider-Man and Ant-Man I would say every other character doesn't wear a mask I think even Ant-Man he was in the uh, in Endgame he was sat in the in the canteen wasn't he with with Hulk when the kids were oh, going yeah. up to Hulk and he was saying, I'm Ant-Man, you know, do you want a picture? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so, I think, yeah. I think Daredevil, I know it's not quite the MCU. He's the only yeah. other one that I can think of that, you know, yeah. is quite guarded about his secret identity. But but you're yeah. right, it's, it's very different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was more about, less about the identities and more about them trying to just govern their actions in the film, really. Um, yeah. So it didn't, have, it didn't have quite the same stakes. Um, there's something else as well about the film not quite living up to the book. We'll get to that very shortly. Um, so, yeah, so obviously from that point, um, it's a case of Stark and his sort of pro-registration act um, followers trying to uphold that side of things, uh, following the law, doing the registration, and then obviously Captain America's gone underground with uh, his entourage, people like Daredevil, uh, Falcon, people like that. And they're sort of still, still trying to be heroes. They're not like just hiding in a, at the bottom of a well. They're still out there trying to do good, but obviously trying to avoid getting captured at the same time. And it's that that leads to the first massive battle in the, in the book where they're sort of given an alert to um, a, a fire or an accident at a big facility. And when they get there, the penny drops that it's a Stark facility. And then obviously... Stark and his uh, crew appear, and then you get the first big battle of the uh, book, of which there are two. Now, one thing I did want to say is that the fight scenes, these two big battle scenes in this book are absolutely brilliant. You actually feel the danger. You think, oh shit, someone, someone's got really going to get hurt here, and God, people do, and then some. Whereas in the film, that big airport battle as well as well as well as a brilliantly executed scene it was and what a thrill it was um it essentially was um essentially to me seemed like a version of british bulldogs in cosplay <laughs> you know, well, it did bit, yeah. you know because it was just six on six um running yeah. at each other and Very you never true. felt you never felt like it was going to end up with something bad happening. Although I suppose at the end there was the issue with um, War Machine getting crippled, but you never really felt like there was a palpable sense of danger. Whereas in this first fight, Captain America literally gets beaten to a bloody pulp by Iron Man. I think at one time, at one point he even says to him, look, Steve, sit down, don't get up again. Your jaw is literally hanging off. I think those are the words yeah. he uses. because he, He's beaten him within an inch of his life. Um, and then obviously how it ends up, which we'll get to in a minute with the ultimate death of a character in that fight. I mean, those battle scenes are, are, are larger than life. They're brilliantly drawn. They, I mean, the artwork in this book is absolutely off, off the chart. I mean, what do you guys think about the, the fight scenes that just go on and on for pages and pages in this book? I, I've got to be honest. Absolutely love them. And I, I'll give a shout out as well as uh, one of the games, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, do a pretty good job of uh, recreating Civil War. So you get some, you know, extended scenes of even the um, uh, the New Warriors bit, you know, and how this all kicks off. And then you can play one side, you can play on Cap's side, or you can play on the... Uh, so the pro-registration and anti-registration yeah. sides. Um, 
but I love the I love the way they just use the different powers. So you know, and again, it's convenient to the story. But in that first fight with uh, Iron Man and Cap, Iron Man saying, "Isn't he? You know, you uh, the suit's got all of your moves, all of your fights you've ever done." Are recorded mm. in the suit, so I'm predicting everything. There's a little bit of yeah. taskmaster in there, really, but um, yeah. but I just thought, brilliant! What a great use of technology. If the suit really is as sophisticated as as we're led to believe, then why wouldn't you do that? Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I thought it was amazing, and, and again, you start to see that resolve from Captain America, don't you? Yeah, he just doesn't stay down. Um, it's it's just a brilliant, brutal fight. I mean, it's not often you see him get his absolute arse handed to him as well, but he absolutely gets annihilated in that first fight. And obviously the tables will get turned towards the end of the book, but in that first one, he gets absolutely outclassed, which is quite a, a rarity, really. Um, and it's just a brilliant, elongated scene. Um, did you like it, Chris? Yeah, it's quite interesting, actually, because when you... And you think you're right. That's one thing I would say, Max. And I, I agree. I agree with Dave. It's what we're going to tackle on the show. Is we're going to do the full trilogy, of Captain America. But yeah, I think I never feel anybody's in danger in the movie. You're totally right. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a bit of a preening and a um, part of my French, but they're all measuring each other's dicks, really, aren't they? To see who's got the biggest <laughs> yeah. point or biggest set of balls. Yeah. But <laughs> I think it's a great movie, and that scene is absolutely fantastic. However, I think you're right with the comics. There's a darker tone to this, and, and there's a more believable tone, I think, as well. Is in, in the fact that, like you say, Captain America gets absolutely nailed. He's, he's basically, you know, he's, he's a couple of breaths away from uh, dying. But then you've also got the other things that are going on. It's actually believable, which is what I like, mm. as in it's not... Which is stupid, because I never question the MCU, because I really, really love all their movies. There's... Only a couple of them, which I'll still watch, which I don't really rate. But in the same respect, the fight scenes and the quality of the production is fantastic. But, but yeah. even by reading this for the first time, it's still questioning. I come away quite frustrated reading this, not because of what I'd read, but the film yeah. thinking, fuck me, the amount of people who could have been in these movies mm. not used because of licensing or they just didn't think they were going to use them. I mean, the Fantastic Four are, are absolutely front and center in this nothing yeah. is mentioned i know the film i've not even seen the film with michael b jordan i know it's supposed to be terrible it's uh, awful I've, yeah yeah and i've watched all <laughs> the other fantastic four ones and obviously we've reviewed that the uh shitty one that's on youtube but <laughs> yeah genuinely the absolutely fantastic one you mean <laughs> oh no no yeah, well, the I, one where the thing where ben Grimm shrinks <laughs> yes <laughs> when he's when he's talking yes that one as well but but no it just felt so frustrating thinking god there's so many battles we could have had on the screen mm. i know the film would probably end up being about five hours max but i think you make a great point and i think the way they've done it the color the, the, the art style, the, the, the way the pencil goes on the screen, it's believable and it draws you in, which I didn't think it would, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. And the, the, the title of the book is Civil War, and it actually does feel like a war when you watch yes. them all in there. You know, whereas a six-on-six fight in an airport runway, it's, you know, you get more men in a, you know, a tag team match in WrestleMania or something like that. You know, it just <laughs> yeah. didn't quite have the same impact. Like I said, it was brilliant, and I do love that film greatly, but it just doesn't have the same impact. 
Um, and like you said, the amount of characters that could have been in the film but weren't because either they didn't have the rights to, like the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, obviously this was pre-Disney buying Fox, so they couldn't use those characters. But there was all these peripheral characters that were getting the two penneth in the fight, but they, these characters haven't yet, they've still yet been introduced in the Marvel films. So there's so much they could have been to, to really tackle that, but they did the best they could with, with what they had to work with, yeah. but it certainly could have been a much grander scale, which is what you get in, in the book. Um, Can I just say though, I think, yeah. I, I think we're a bit spoiled really, aren't we? Because yeah, yeah. remember when Spider-Man three came out and we all said, Oh, there's way too many characters because they had like Venom. They had some hybrid goblin character, you know, which was, uh, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Harry Osborn. Harry Osborn. I was thinking of the the actor though. Um, James Franco. Franco, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the one that James Franco was playing, and they had uh, Sandman, Sandman, didn't they? Sandman. So, yeah. and we say, oh, the way too many characters. And then yeah. in Civil War, you know, or Captain America Three: Civil War, they threw in a load more. And I remember just thinking, wow, how the hell have they done that? Got so many characters in there. So yeah. I think you're right, Chris. There's a lot less than the books, which feel a lot more grand. But because of, because of the medium of the movies, I think they did quite well. And it felt less Captain America 3 and more just an Avengers movie to me. There was that many people in it. And they somehow managed to balance the time. So it, it does... It does make me excited, to be honest, because obviously after the acquisition of uh, Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Fox, you could have something like this. You know, obviously not this exact yes. story, but now you've got the Fantastic... Uh, oh, wait, no. It's Fantastic Four Sony, isn't it? But they've got the X-Men no, it's Fox. now. Oh, is it Fox as well? Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. one is Spider-Man, isn't it? It's Sony. Spider-Man's got, Sony. Yeah. got a partnership there anyway. So, you know, you could have something like this. So, yeah, exciting times. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Um, but obviously now, as we said, this fight ends with an actual death, um, which gives this book a real sense of stakes, a real sense of shit. It's, this is serious. This isn't just a bit of a fight, a bit of a disagreement. This is serious. One of us has just been killed. And it's the character of Goliath gets killed by the um, clone <laughs> of Thor. Uh, and that's, the, that's literally the end of the battle and everyone kind of, almost down tools and runs off to the separate corners. I mean, it's quite bold actually to actually kill off a character. I mean, not an A-list character by any stretch of the imagination, but still um, a pretty decent character. I mean, what did you think seeing that? An actual main person in the battle actually getting killed off, which is something you don't see all the time. Sorry, Chris, I, I, I'll let you go first next time, but I just have to get this off my chest because I, I was so gushing about this this story arc I, I absolutely love it um but if i could change anything i would change the character who dies because ultimately mm -hmm. you have this massive battle the stakes feel like they're really high and then they kill off the black guy i mean <laughs> just a massive fucking trope which you know is is even played as a joke in in a lot of movies isn't it you know yeah. but that's what they did you know and it's like oh come on really so yeah, and it was pretty brutal, wasn't it? The way it all happened. And, and again, I'll, I'll just say, I think it's an editorial feat that they got to here because it, it was quite clever how they sort of moved 
some of the major pieces off the board, you know, so they got yeah. rid of Thor with Ragnarok, they got with a, rid of Hulk. Uh, Doctor Strange is just chilling out, meditating, so you got rid of magic. So yeah. you're leveling all the playing field to get ready. Yeah. And, and I thought that was really quite clever, but I must admit when, when uh, Thor does kill Black Goliath, I was like, holy shit. And you get that massive panel, and it looks phenomenal. But yeah. That that's when it all gets a bit real, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, it's quite a bit of a jarring moment, actually. Um, and then obviously from that you start to see this is where people start to switch sides. Um, and the biggest one of of them all is, of course, Spider Man, who starts the film as sort of Stark's boy, like he is in the films, um, and he goes so far as to actually reveal his secret identity live on TV in a press conference. I mean, before we get to sort of the side switching and the introduction of a, a, another character to the mix, I really want to talk about. What do you think about that then? The, the Spider-Man sort of secret identity reveal? Is it brave? Is it stupid? Um, is it a bit of both? Um, you know, is he just being blind to the consequences of his actions. Uh, I'll start with Chris. Um, what do you think of it when he whips the mask off and goes, hi, everybody, I'm Peter Parker. I've been Spider-Man since I was 15 years old. Hi. What do you think uh, of that? <laughs> I think I do, I do like it. I, I didn't yeah. like it at all. I think it goes against everything that Spider-Man's about. It's, it's pointless yeah. having the mask on when yeah. you're doing that. I know, obviously, in the movie, and obviously Spider-Man Far From Home, we get it. What you see there's a couple of bits where obviously at the end, spoilers, yeah. it just gets revealed by Mysterio that he is Peter Parker and it goes off setting up for the next movie. Now, for this, I just didn't understand what was going on. It was almost like he was doing the Iron Man thing and just copying Tony. How that's why I don't think I like Tony as much in this run, because it, it just it seemed to me like he was just setting up people for fail and, and mm. Spider-Man doing that, knowing the people. Tony Stark is a selfish person in some respects. And the people he has around him pretty much live within his complex, like in the movies and stuff. You know, you've got Pepper Potts and you've got Happy and stuff. But that's it. His dad's not there. His dad's obviously died, stuff like that. Peter's got people that he cares about and they don't even know that he's Spider-Man. So I, yeah. I just found that quite bizarre, to be honest, to reveal it on TV. And there's not even any sort of reference to Aunt May or anything, which I found really weird. As in, as in, we don't see a panel of Aunt May watching the telly going, I fucking knew it, there was something not right. You know, that sort of thing. So <laughs> I just thought that was a bit off, to be fair. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Uh, and what do you think, Dave? You know what? I'm, I'm distracted because Chris has got some weird space thing going on behind him. He just looks like Patrick Moore from the old days. You know? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember Games Master? Oh, yeah. there we go. We've got San Francisco yeah. now. It's just... I couldn't even concentrate on what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So it absolutely does. It. Tony's bullied him into this position, hasn't he? And and they've done yeah. it absolutely for that shock factor. And and you know, Stan Lee used to say, you need to give the readers the illusion of change. And I must admit, I was reading this and I was thinking, well, holy shit! But you're gonna have to reverse that somehow. And you know, without speaking too much about the future it just ended up in a ridiculous way that they had to rewrite that and get back to the status quo but yeah. um 
I think there's a few things. So up until where we are now, I was saying about, you know, which side are you on? I think Tony's definitely played off as the villain or that the pro registration side are played off as the villains, because ultimately you've got a cloned version of Thor who kills one of the uh, superheroes, the unregistered heroes. So, you know, that's got to be a strike. And then bullying Spider-Man into um, revealing his identity. You know, that's, yeah. that's another minus mark. And then there's a few more with like Prison 42 and the negative zone and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's not quite 50-50, you know, on both sides. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I think it's a, a, a daft move. Um, I like it's a good plot device because it really sort of halfway through the story that happens and it's like, wow, what a, a huge seminal moment. But I just don't think it's something that the character would necessarily do. I think he would value his anonymity too much and value his um, his family, uh, Aunt May and, and uh, Mary Jane, um, their safety to, to do that. Um, but nevertheless, it, it works as a as a real wow kind of uh, moment. Uh, but it's not long after that then he, he, he changes his mind basically and decides, "Oh, this is wrong. Fuck this! I'm going to join Cap's team," um, which leads to start almost trying to kill him as he escapes from the um, compound there, and then and then start kind of crosses the line a bit because he um, recruits some um, murderous supervillains to uh, boost his numbers and set some of them off after um, Spider-Man. And they're on the verge of, of obviously catching Spider-Man and catching up with him. And these two villains all of a sudden get slaughtered in the sewers. And that's the introduction to the book of Frank Castle, the Punisher, um, which I think him and one other character, which I'll mention in a minute, are probably apart from Stark, Captain America and Spider-Man, are probably the most impactful and significant characters in the book. Um, the introduction of Frank Castle is brilliant and the reaction of all the other heroes to him, like, oh, he's a murdering psychopath. We don't want him anywhere near us. Get him out of here. And they're like, oh, maybe maybe be useful helping us. And then obviously he does something after that, which leads to Captain America battering him within an inch of his life. Um, but that introduction of him is absolutely brilliant. Um, what do you think about that then? Frank Castle sort of joining the fray and getting in there and, and, and actually taking lives as well of, of various supervillains that he meets. Well, well, to be honest, I think, I think Dave may have mentioned this to me previously in sort of private conversation, Max, about the fact that I think he's punished a bit of a joke superhero uh, in some of the comics. Is that not right? No, no. No, no. Because no, 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 I a joke. No, no. No, because what I wasn't too pleased with it was, obviously, we know I love the series, The Punisher with John Berthold yeah. and that. But yeah. he, he just gets fucking levered and everyone just doesn't like him. And he mm. just, the way he gets ragdolled out of it and the fact that they're saying like he won't fight Cap because it must be a respect thing, you know, because he's yeah. in the army and it must be like his hero. Yeah. Maybe it's that. But I didn't necessarily think he did anything wrong, really, because they were fucking bad guys anyway. But Captain America just absolutely kicked the shit out of him, didn't he, to be honest? Which was a bit weird, I thought. But however, um, He's a street superhero, yeah. Uh, like Daredevil, and you got Luke Cage there as well, because Luke Cage slates him, doesn't he? Saying like, "What's yeah. he doing here?" Basically, so yeah. you're not. They're not going to be in the final battle anyway, because they just simply haven't got the superpowers, have they? Really? 
No, no. You see him as well at very before he actually comes on in that Punish costume. When you go back and read it again from the start, you see him in various panels just here and there on the sort of edge of scenes. There's one of him sort of up a fire skate wearing a black balaclava, like spying on two of the Fantastic Four and little bits here and there where he's sort of in the shadows before you actually see him. Um, but I can understand the, the, the sort of anti-feeling towards him because he is a murderer. He does kill people whereas i suppose the whole thing about being a superhero is you know you don't take lives you don't cross that line um but i think he's just a, a breath of fresh air when he walks in um you're a fan of his uh dev i i used to love the punisher and yeah. um i'm sure at some point we'll tackle the dolph lundgren um 1989 <laughs> punisher at some oh, Jesus. um but at, at that time he was huge wasn't he yeah. I just don't know if I buy that Captain America would ever let him on the team. You know, I, I'm just not sure I'm buying that, you know, because he's so ruthless, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, but I, it made for a good bit of action. And Jesus Christ, when he takes out those two supervillains, yeah. I mean, that was proper brutal, wasn't it? You know, and yeah. again, though, I think this is where Cap's side gets played off as, as the good guys really, because, you know, another strike against Tony's side is when you start to recruit the supervillains and, you know, you essentially inject them with nanobots so that they, <laughs> they do what you want. It's all a little bit fascist really, isn't it? So, yeah, um, you know, and then you get supervillains wanting to join the anti-registration side and, and Frank just blows their brains out. No, no trial, no take him to the, cops or anything and that that's when cat sort of starts to take names in it yeah yeah that is kind of uh, a bit out of order because they literally just walk in with the hands up saying oh you know can we join you know and before there's even a a, a, dis, a syllable of conversation about it they've got a bullet in the head um so it's <laughs> it is a bit harsh i would say but um i just like his intro i think it's brilliant the way he just enters in as such a badass and you know just killing people left, right and centre. And I think Cap sees him as a means to an end because he does help them, doesn't he? When they, tr when they break yeah. into um, Stark's basin to get the plans of the um, prison where they're holding everyone and they, they, they use Punisher's um, highly decorated black ops <laughs> training or something to, to uh, get in there because he's the only one that has the, um, the necessary training to infiltrate um, Stark's base of operations so uh, no, no one else can do it only Frank Castle um, but then obviously his actions see him unceremoniously uh, booted off the team um, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great little cameo he has anyway he really lights the book up and dominates the, the bit that he's in there I think it's a really really great uh, piece of action there with Frank Castle and, and it, bring, it brings it down like um, Chris said because he's street level, it brings it down to, it stops it getting into this like hugely um, fantastical kind of story, fantastical kind of tale. It, you know, it keeps it a bit more grounded, I think. Yeah, and he, he's just, he's just a badass, isn't he? Just a yeah. badass character because yeah, yeah. all these super powered, you know, beings and that, and he does not give a shit. He'll quite yeah. happily, you know, go toe to toe with them if he needs to. So, I, no, I, I do like the character. And again, sort of after this, you know, he, he uh, has an interesting turn when you end up with, you know, essentially Wolverine's offspring basically slicing him up like a, a, a nice ham. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's very cool. Uh, now, before we sort of get to the, the end, the hugely uh, entertaining end battle and, and what, how the, the book ends, um, I just want to ask, is there any other character in the book other than sort of the main ones, the main sort of three or four that caught your eye, that you really liked what they did, even if they were in it for a, a tiny amount or they had a bigger part to play? Is there anyone else that was in the book that you really liked and, you know, maybe wanted to see a bit more of? Uh, for me, always going to be Wolverine, Max. Always yeah. Wolverine. Uh, the fact that he's the proper, almost like the 1990s Wolverine, the look, everything. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. So he's in there, you get the old bob and he says a couple of lines, but no, I, I think, would it have worked? I'm not sure, but there's nothing wrong with seeing a bit of rage either from the Hulk or Wolverine. So either of them two characters, even though the Hulk isn't really in it. So, Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He's, uh, he's what he does is he does very well, yeah. Any, anyone you caught your eye, Dave? I, I thought the fact that Sue Storm, um, you know, walked out on Reed, I thought that was I, I'd forgotten that to be honest. Um, you know, I, I thought that was really good. So it split the Fantastic Four down the middle as well, yeah. or not quite down the middle. You, you essentially have Reed on his own, don't you, on the pro registration side in the end. Again, you take out. Uh, one of the stronger characters like Ben Grimm, you know, you put him mm. off to the side, he just makes a, an appearance right at the end there, doesn't he? But no, I really like that. And uh, I think in the comics, you know, everyone wants a bit of Sue Storm and, you know, she bats her eyelids a bit for Namor and, you know, ends up dragging him into the battle, which which turned the tide for a little bit at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Namor's been trying to slip her one for 50 years, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's, he's, he's still coming up short, bless him. Uh, she only has eyes for Reed. Um, but yeah, I was going to mention Sue Storm, or Sue Richards, I should say, uh, myself. I mean, she, her journey in that book's huge because, like you said, not only does she sort of walk out on Reed, albeit she comes back at the end anyway to him uh, when he sees the light, but you see their, uh, their marriage start to disintegrate. Reed's so wrapped up in what he's doing and the plans him he's making with Tony Stark and Hank Pym. Because he said when they talk about the... Um, I was going to say level 42, but that's a band. <laughs> the um, prison 42 in the negative yeah. zone. And they say that that was one, it was called 42 because it was number 42 on a list of 100 things they wrote down in a day of ideas to make the world a safer place. Um, so I'd love to see what the other 99 were. Jesus Christ. Um, but he is so dedicated to that he doesn't even acknowledge his wife and see how what he's doing is splitting the family apart and then the way she um, proves her worth on the on the battlefield as well, you know, she's not just someone who turns invisible and hides. She really is a badass, you know. When Reed takes a bullet for her, um, I think it's Taskmaster who, who, who tries to shoot her and Reed takes it and then she sort of looks at Taskmaster and you can see in his face, he's like, oh, shit. So <laughs> he regretted that one, didn't he? <laughs> and next, next time you see him, he's in a fucking hole in the ground. Just like sparkled, you know, because that's how um, how strong she is. Um, but so, yeah, I think her her character arc's brilliant in it. You know, she plays a really good part in it. Um, considering it's supposed to be this alpha male posturing, my side and your side, and I'm right, you're wrong, and ultimately it's a female character who probably plays the one of the biggest parts in it. And I think she's brilliant in it. Yeah, um, and I can't okay. Remember which yeah. which one it is, but. Um... I think there was a penny dropping moment for me because, again, some of these female characters created in the 60s, 
they're of it they're of their time aren't they but there was yeah. a story i read where basically sue was saying you know i'll i'll create a little invisible bubble inside your brain and then just make it bigger and bigger until your brain pops or yeah. you know something to that effect i thought wow she's probably actually one of the most powerful superheroes out there you know if you yeah. again if you just got that writer with the creativity to to make use of her powers she is incredibly powerful oh, absolutely yeah and that's that's one of the great things about this book is when you consider it's it's written by by well the main seven are just written by mark miller and because there's that many characters in it he has a great handle on all of them whereas normally you'll have a, a writer who you know, is sort of writing for one character or one book or one team at least. But in this book literally has a cast of hundreds and they all get their little moments to shine. And he's, he, he brilliantly taps into what is great about all the different characters. It's, it's a masterpiece of writing. It really is. Yeah, I, think, I think it's, I mean, he's done that many brilliant books over the years and so many of them have been turned into films like uh, Kick-Ass and Old Man Logan. Although the Logan wasn't, exactly based on that book. They borrowed some things from it. Mm. Um, Superman Red Sun, which literally has just come out now as an animated film. He's done so much brilliant stuff, but I think for me, this is his, his, his best work in my opinion anyway. Now, what, what do you think? Cause it, he's a little bit Marmite Mark Millar, isn't he? Or, or yeah. he's started calling himself or not started probably for the last 10 years. He wants to be called Mark Miller, but for me, he's always Millar. Um, a lot of people sort of label the, uh, kind of accusation that he's he's just trying to copy alan moore obviously you know uh, for the watchman you had the keen act didn't you so yeah. big inspiration from that even in the marvel yeah. universe you had the mutant registration act so the x-men yep. were dealing with this stuff long before yep. this um i have to say i i think what he does he brings to the panel that cinematic feel i mean i don't know if we're ever gonna uh, tackle the ultimates at some point but I think Maybe, you know, yeah, definitely, yeah. Taking the that first story arc, reimagining, you know, the Avengers and, and calling mm. them the Ultimates and kind of updating all of their stories, it, it was just brilliant. And and it was when you when you read something like that, you can see, okay, I could I could see how this could work on a movie. Whereas yeah. if you go back to the kind of Silver Age stuff, you're like, yeah, it's quite a leap to get from the page to uh to the screen so i for me personally i i really like mark millar i always find all of his books really quite easy to get through um yeah. and i just yeah i i i think he's just good at writing things which can be adapted for the screen i mean i think we did kingsman was it last year or or the year before mm -hmm. that chris and and again another really great story that i quite liked and, and represented on the screen quite well yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, he he writes big. You know, he he writes he writes cinematic stories. He writes things that are destined to be made larger, made larger than life. I just, I think he's a visionary writer. He is, in my opinion, anyway. He is one of the one of the top ten writers in comics that there's ever been. I know that's you know it's all subjective anyway. I mean, what I makes reckon he's one of the richest. Other, he's one of the Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that Netflix <laughs> money. My God. Um, yeah, I think he owns half of Scotland now. Um, so, Max, yeah, did, did you ever go to um, Kapow Comic Con at all? I mean, it's, uh, it's down here in London, so it's a bit further away for you to get to. But did you get down? No, sadly not. I would have loved to, Arthur, but um, no, sadly not. 
yourself? Uh, so, so, yeah, so I think there were two in the end, and then he was just busy on other stuff, like making all that uh, truckloads of money. So, yeah. but he was quite good in it, and he, you know, he comes across in the talks really quite well. And, you know, again, you sort of trace back the influence of Stan Lee. So, you know, he was saying he was quite happy reading things like, uh, sorry, writing things like Spider-Man. And he was also a budding artist as well and had um, had advice to kind of concentrate on one or the other. You know, don't do yeah. art and writing. I mean, Frank Miller did, did it for a time, didn't he? But, you know, ended up focusing on the writing. So he had some good advice there. But Stan Lee basically said to him, well, if I just wrote about all the characters that came before me, then you wouldn't have Spider-Man. You wouldn't have Thor. You wouldn't have Hulk. And and that just switched his mindset. And then that's why, I mean, in terms of creating new kind of characters, new worlds, he's absolutely got to be one of the most prolific um, in in modern times, I think. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. Um, There's no question. Um, Like I said, it is all opinion anyway. So, you know, what, one man or woman thinks he's brilliant. One will thinks a pile of shit and, and vice versa. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's all subjective, isn't it? But I, I just think he's, he's, he's right up there. I think he's in my top five easily, easily, if not top three, but that's an ever changing list anyway, depending on what comes <laughs> out, what comes out the next week. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So obviously from there, we move on to this final, Battle where uh, Cap's team break into the um, uh, negative zone prison to free their uh, comrades, if you will, and Stark's crews there, along with his uh, supervillain uh, friends as well. And then we get the, the mother of all fights. Now, this leads to an end which is quite divisive um, among people who, who've read the book who don't buy it, um, who thinks it's a bit of a, a cop-out ending. Um, obviously we spoiled it enough for anyway so I don't need to worry about spoiling the events of the book for anyone but essentially at the end of this huge fight the tables are slightly turned where it's Captain America who batters Iron Man down to to the um, to the end and he sort of lay there his arm is half off and his cap's about to deliver the final blow and he just goes yeah just do it just finish me off um, and then he's he's stopped by Oh, well, not stop, but he gets a, a few sort of policemen and uh, emergency services people sort of diving on him, trying to stop him from essentially, he, he looks like he's about to kill Iron Man. Um, and then he sort of has this epiphany moment and realises, Jesus Christ, what have we been doing? What has this all been about? And literally just hands himself in for arrest and ends the civil war. A lot of people think that's ending is just a, a really weird way to end the book rather you know someone just literally just stopping at the end and and sort of literally laying down his shield and giving himself up um i mean what do you guys think i'll you know i'll start with with you on this one chris i mean as an ending do you do you like it do you buy it would you have liked to have seen it end a different way even you know there's a lot of ways you could look at it i am i think i'm with what you were saying there max i'm not a big fan because you built up over seven issues to this like all conquering all you know almighty battle that's just basically changed the fate of the world and he just decides to go you know what actually i think tony was right all along so i'm just going to surrender everything i've just done the whole book it sort of for me it cheapens the book in some respects i Mm. thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it 
but it's an ending. A bit like when you watch some of these Netflix series or these BBC series, ITV ones, where you absolutely get into it. You're absolutely thinking, oh, this is going to be absolutely amazing. And yeah. you get the fucking, the most predictable ending going. Now, I'm not saying this is predictable, but they couldn't have, I suppose they couldn't have ended it any other way, but I just, I don't know. I just, I, I wouldn't have minded them sort of taking Tony out or something and Cap taking a bit of a sinister turn and, and then you got to run mm. on something else. I'm not sure. I, I, I suppose, thinking about as I'm talking, is how else could it have ended? But for me, it just ends and that's it. And I was like, all oh, right, okay, fair. The only thing it did do, yeah. reading the seven issues, it does make me want to expand on this. Like you said, this, the issues that shoot off from Civil War, I have yeah. an interest in actually reading, to be fair, and I've never thought I'd say that a couple of years ago. So that, that you've, you, Max, and Dave have done the job, especially with this one, because with it being mainstream and knowing the characters, it's going to be easier yeah. for me to follow what's going on. So no, no, I agree. A bit of a weird ending. It is, it is. Um, and what's your thoughts on it, Dave? I, I probably see it a little bit differently because, again, about... I mean, we talk about Mark Millar, but obviously the Steve McNiven art throughout this is fantastic. And I just yeah. see like a, a cinematic moment, you know, where everything slows down, you know, and you get Cap looking around and actually all the things that he was fighting for, you can actually see the public opinion is completely against them. And let's yeah. face it, you know, probably in our younger days, we've all had a bit of red mist at one point. And then you come out of it and then you're like, Oh, I was a bit of a dick there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you know yeah. I was, I, I, why did I do that? I don't even know why I did that myself. So for me, he just had that moment of clarity where he understood actually he felt like he was on the wrong side because, yeah. you know, he's always trying to um, stick up for people, fight for freedom and all of that. But actually the, the people don't, they want the registration. So for me, I bought it. I tell you what I did forget. So what happens pretty much exactly, not exactly, but right after this uh, story, what happens mm -hmm. to Cap, obviously. I thought mm. in my brain it was in this story, but it wasn't. So it kind of ended. And I was like, oh, all right, okay. He's just arrested. So yeah. I won't spoil it, but <laughs> it's obviously significant what happens after. But it's like we, what, yes. what we were saying before that, you know, the ripples just continue for years and years, don't they? yeah oh absolutely yeah i mean they even did about three or four years ago they did a civil war two um which was shit in comparison to this yeah. <laughs> but just 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 on its own and its own merits it's not a bad read actually it got slaughtered but i think that was because people were expected to be on the level of this and it and it really wasn't but just as a story in its own right it was, it was okay um the, the the reasons behind it were a bit weird and and the 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 whole thing just seemed a bit forced but it was okay um but yeah i mean the 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 events of this you know spun on there was loads of aftermath stuff i mean like you said again what happened to captain america in the immediate aftermath of this when he's about to stand trial and what actually happens to him that really did change things i mean you know the old adage yeah, in comic books, you know, no one stays dead. Um, so it wasn't a, a permanent arrangement, but it was something quite quite dramatic. Um, I mean, there's a whole list of, of aftermath stuff that uh, came on as a result of this. I mean, it really did impact the whole thing. Um, I just 
I don't know. I just, like Chris says, I would have liked to have seen a slightly tweaked ending. Um, I would have liked to have seen him maybe still arrested at the end, but arrested sort of kicking and screaming rather than walking in with his hands up. I would have preferred him to have, you know, been willing to deliver that killer blow to Stark, you know, who was his one-time mate and, you know, be that sort of driven and cross that line that the red mist had come down. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would have loved to have seen that happen and him just be like, literally going to kill him and then, you know, another hero jumps in and, and pins him down or something like that. I would have quite liked to have seen that. So what I would say though, Max, again, it's interesting your perspective on that, but the way I see it is this way, Cap is on the losing side, but he mm. still comes out the winner. You know, if someone else took him out, he wouldn't have made that choice himself. He, he would have just yeah. been on the losing side. Whereas this way, he still maintains the the high moral ground for me. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose so, actually, yeah. I mean, they did some silly stuff with him in, in more recent times where they turned him bad. Um, that was in Secret Empire. That was a really bizarre situation. Um, people got really so, upset about that, didn't they? <laughs> they? Yeah, people weren't happy with him being a, a, a Hydra sleeper agent yep. all, all, that, all that time. But then that was explained away and it wasn't quite it was what the it cosmic seemed, cube, it? wasn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it was him, but it wasn't him. And, and all the rest of it was really daft. And now he's you know, back to being the, the Captain America everyone knows and loves, but it is what it is. I mean, everything gets a bit convoluted in the world of comics. Um, but um, yeah, I think I can see your point, actually. I think you're probably right. Maybe I've uh, maybe I've overthought it there. Yeah, I think what you're saying is quite consistent with the way the, way the character is, or, or was at that point, I should say. Uh, okay, so we've, I guess we've talked enough about the, uh, the book and the events of the book and our thoughts on the book. Um, so what we'll do now is our final score. Chris, would you like to go first? Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting for me to score something like this because not being a, a fan of reading a lot of comics, uh, fully enjoying this. Um, like I say, a few things a bit cheap and Peter Parker revealing, I just don't buy that. Uh, like you say, Dave's been saying this to me now for over two years that in comic books, they just do what they thought they want. You, you think, <laughs> like I, I, it ruined my life when I knew that there was more than one Robin and, and the amount <laughs> of different people that have played various characters that I love on the screen because of cartoons and movies. I've only ever seen one person play Robin, you know, Dick Grayson, that I just didn't have this nightwing thing or anything. So to, to come into this, I was thinking, how am I going to find it? Am I going to be interested in it? Uh, and, and I was, I genuinely, genuinely was. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. A lot more than I thought I would. Nothing bothered me. Didn't think, oh my God, here we go. I had put it off for a few days because I was thinking, oh God, I've got to read it. But I didn't. Once I picked it up, I was genuinely interested in reading it. And, and like I say, I am going to seek out some other graphic novels to read down the line, definitely. Um, for me, I'm going to give it a four out of five. I think it's uh, worthy. I don't think it's absolutely amazing. But then again, what the hell do I know? Because I've got nothing to, to go against, really. But for me, <laughs> yeah. I just don't think it was something... I will read it again, definitely. Um, 
but I'm hoping that something else will grab me a bit more and make a bit more sense because some of the twists I wasn't buying. Okay, great. That's a great score. Um, and Dave, over to you. Yeah, so again, I think uh, Joe Casada is a little bit Marmite and, you know, once he took the reins at Marvel Comics, you know, I don't think everyone liked what he was doing. But I think the way that they churned out these events through the 2000s was pretty impressive and, and not just the main books, but having all the tie-in books as well. It, it's obviously driven by commercials, but to pull all of that together uh, is pretty impressive. Now, when I think back to all of the main kind of events around that time, I can't think of a better one than Civil War, to be honest. And again, I think it may be part nostalgia talking because it was one of the main stories that got me back into comics. Um, but I, I really think of this highly. And it, it was such fun to go back and reread it again. Um, yeah. And it really did stand up as well. You know, I was kind of wondering whether I'd enjoy it as much this time. But no, I absolutely did. And like I say, the, the story is good. Some of the characters are a little bit off, but the artwork is fantastic. The coloring is great. Um, some of the splash pages just look amazing. So for me, I'm going to, I did have a sneak peek actually at Comixology. I'm going to be consistent with their rating from their, all their different reviewers. I'm going to give it four and a half stars out of five. I, I really do think it is that good. And I also think a little bit like Chris, you know, it's a good jumping on point as well. Because if yeah. you, unless you've been living in a cave, you kind of know who the main characters are. You know, you've got Cap, you've got Iron Man, you've got Spider-Man. Everyone else is kind of, you've got your second tier to that. You've got your Reed Richards and, and people like that. But if you know those three, you, you're pretty sweet to start off reading. And, you know, you don't have to get caught up with who's who. And so I, I think because it's such a brilliant jump, jumping on point as well, uh, I, that's why I rate it so high. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, another great score. Um, me personally, I'm an absolute sucker for a, a big crossover um, book, something that pulls in all characters from all the different parts of the, the world, of the universe. Um, I think it's just brilliantly executed. I think it's so well written. So many different characters get their time in the sun. Obviously, you have your, your mainstays who are the, the top characters in the book who essentially the plot revolves around them and their motivations. But even the smallest of characters who might only be in half a page or even a, 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 a couple of panels still do something that makes you think, oh, wow, okay, oh, oh that's such a body. And it's just a really well-executed and well-pulled-together thing. Um, the amount of planning that went into it is pretty gargantuan. Um, like you said, the, the art is, Steve McNiven's art is an absolute feast for the eyes. It, it's just every page just demands your attention. I think the writing by Mark Millar is so, is so spot-on. He, he gets the voice of... Or the internal voice of all the characters pretty much spot on as we've said in this discussion some of the actions of some of the characters at various points just feels like mm, i'm not so sure they'd actually do that but to me i'm just nitpicking um it's a book i can pick up and read every few months and still enjoy it and maybe find something i hadn't quite seen in a previous read because there's that much meat on the bone and um, i just think it's an absolutely brilliantly done and brilliantly executed book so i'm going to give it 
I'm going to go all in for the first show. I'm going to give it a whopping full five out of five. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, well, I guess all that remains is me to do is to thank you both uh, very much for giving up your, your time and, and your, um, giving me your company on this first show and getting us off to, you know, one hell of a great start. And I'm very grateful for that and grateful for the uh, opportunity that you've uh, given me on your uh, Comics in Motion network. Um, I'm very thankful for that. And uh, thanks very, very much for, uh, for being on here. Um, is there um, anything you'd like to uh, say to listeners, anything you want to plug about what's coming up and where they can find everything online or, or, or on the podcast servers? So um, again, um, it's absolutely no problem at all, Max. It's brilliant to have you on. And like I say, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I love Tony's show as well. And this show is going to be, you know, it's more mainstream. But, you know, I, I must admit, I am a sucker for the mainstream, you know. So, you know, when I look at that first 10, we've got some really exciting stuff coming up. So just absolutely brilliant. Now, um, Chris? Where can everyone get this show? Yeah, if you want to follow our feed, guys, get onto your podcast catching app and put in Comics in Motion, and we're on everything out there you can think of podcast-wise. If you want to follow the Comics in Motion Twitter, at Comics in Motion P, and if you want to email into us with any suggestions for Max on this uh, show, the comics in motion podcast at gmail.com and max where can everybody get you my friend because obviously this is your baby and i'm hoping that you're going to get loads of interaction on this because we've got some great comic fans and friends out there who are hopefully going to come on and give us you know a bit of a mix of everything oh absolutely yeah yeah if anyone's got an idea for one they want us to, to talk about on here by all means, throw it out there and um, we'll certainly uh, get round to it eventually. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter. Um, I'm at Maxi Byrne, which is M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. You can find me on there. Um, and uh, do say hello, drop us a line, tell us what you think. And, and by all means, um, you know, let's get there and see what people want to hear. So I'm looking forward to it very much. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much to everyone who's taken the time to listen. I hope you've all enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us again next week on episode two. Um, every week, as I said, we'll be tackling a big um, concept or a big storyline from either Marvel or DC. Only the very biggest stuff gets mentioned on here, so there'll be no obscure things on there which you know, you'll know you have to dig deep into your collection or actively seek out. Chances are, if we're going to talk about it, it's one you'll already own, it's one you'll have already read, or at least one you've already heard of. Nevertheless, thank you very much indeed for everyone who's uh, listened, and um, we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye for now. What's the best mattress for you? 
if you're an egg or a kitten, check out the competition. But if you're a human person, put your body on a nectar mattress. As well as award-winning layers of comfort, you can sleep easy knowing you got incredible value. Mattresses start at just $499, and you get hundreds of dollars in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com.